often happens on my journey. Um, there is this sort of uh, synergistic ricochet that occurs uh, when I meet uh, some really beautiful musicians, uh, and I meet one, then I wind up going to a gig, and then I meet a few more, and I had a chance last week um, to connect with uh, Thorger Lund, a legendary bass player, and uh he mentioned he was playing at the Jackrabbit Lounge, which is one of my favorite converted strip clubs that's now turned into a social experience. And uh, my guest had his band there, and it was riveting in the sense that uh, it was really a throwback um, to um, a myriad of, of sort of psychedelic um, uh Tunes and creations that occurred in the '60s. Uh, there was some, definitely some rock attached to it, and some some desert influences. But at the core, uh, he melted my heart with a version of Dreamsville, uh, running uh, his uh, organ through a, an amplifier while playing the guitar. And then I think they busted into a Milestones later in the gig, but I was so out of my mind, I didn't even know what was really going on. And as I've done more research on this cat, he is uh, really has a broad palette of musical taste. He's been really uh, involved with soundtracks and also some really titanic legendary bands here in Tucson, like Giant Sand, members of Giant Sand and Calexico. But he continues to carve his own path and uh, find his own individual voice amongst the morass of many musicians, not just in this town, but all over the world. Naeem Moore, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you, Jake. Thanks for having me. Naeem, I, I kind of just wanted to ask you about, um, you know, in this country, uh, well, I'll just ask you, have you had... Uh, could you talk about your experiences on psychedelic drugs? Did you do any psychedelics when you were in France? <laughs> That's so interesting. Um, actually, no, no, I didn't do. Anything. I was waiting. I was expecting the no, but I wanted. To, I wasn't sure if it was prevalent over there, uh, or if it was something that was done in sort of a leisurely fashion. But I wasn't sure. I mean, has psychedelics been? Uh, any part of your sort of creative makeup at all? No, 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 not in substance. But I, I think, I think it's funny because I, uh, I actually I've been exposed to uh, a lot of uh, people doing lots of drugs, and uh, for my I don't know in for my experiences even as a teenager, somehow there was something a defense that I was like. I put a protection around myself. Uh, I, I lost lots of friends. Yeah. Know, any drug. So there's like something, there was like a little But I think uh, to, to answer you that uh, the psychedelic experience is like, uh, I I live a little bit in this psychedelic. I, I believe um, you do. I want you to talk about how you live in that world, even though you're not doing those drugs. Well, uh, okay. Let's... You know, it's a good question because it makes me wonder a, a lot. Like, uh, my I'm French. I'm from France. I grew up in Paris, a big, big, big city. But um, my mother is French, so I grew up with the a very French, the French background. However, my father is from Tunisia, and uh, he moved to France when he was uh, 17 years old on his own in the 50s wow. to become an artist. Wow! Which is crazy. Wow! Yeah, because at the time, you, you, I mean, imagine, in the early 50s in Tunisia, you know, France was in the reconstruction, and uh, and then you have a 17-year-old who wants to wants to be a Van Gogh. He wants to be a Van Gogh. That's what he wants to do. <laughs> and, uh, but, the, but at the time, we didn't need more Van Goghs in France. We just needed uh, people to rebuild the country. Right. And uh, so he got uh, in a painting school, but for... Construction. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and a naive seventeen-year-old uh, who wants to do something and just gets into like uh, something completely different, and then uh, and life goes on, and then you go from one thing to another. And eventually, you find out that you need to go to the school of fine arts in Paris, and you became actually an artist and a professor over there. Wow! And, uh, wow! But I grew up, so I grew up as a kind of dual other culture, but at the same time. 
in the era where immigrants in France, you know, really wanted to be integrated, you know, they kind of wanted to be just French. And so you never talk uh, any, any word of Arab, Arab to me. So I never really had that aspect. So I completely assume, and also unexpected, I don't really look like a Middle Eastern at all. Absolutely, so, absolutely. Yeah, so so I I blend in into completely French. Uh, where, you know, there's a huge Arab um, community in, in France. And there's a lot of racism. And um, so I, I never, never experienced that aspect. However, now being a older middle-aged guy, <laughs> I, think, like, I think there's... There are things that I don't suspect that are like uh, body language, cultural, but I don't know, things that I don't realize that not, that not completely French either. And to add up to the complexity of things, I moved to the United States 26, almost 27 years ago uh, to add to the mix of like... Uh, insanity. Absolutely. <laughs> like, no, I, I, so let me ask you though, um, I cannot believe your dad was from Tunisia because I've been listening. Well, I just, I, I got to say this thing later because, uh, uh, Dizzy, I was just been listening to Dizzy talk about that song oh, night in Tunisia over and over yeah. again, which is just incredible. But the fact that you were not French and you were, you, you know, he didn't, your dad didn't speak any native tongue to you. Uh, when did you, did you always sort of just point your compass straight ahead, or did it take some time for you to sort of just accept that you were not you were not going to just fit in nicely to a, a square peg in a square hole? Um. Well, I, it's funny because uh, I, I realized why did I leave um, my country, Fred, uh, and I'm here. Uh, I cannot not think about like uh, the experience that my dad had himself yeah. uh, to to leave the country. But uh, um, I think I think uh, well, both my parents are artists, and then uh, and I kind of grew up in in the idea of like uh, you know to to, to find really uh, find out like who you are and and uh, and uh, and just the, the, your best. Your best um, ally is going to be to find yourself. <laughs> and no, I mean, you know but I mean? that is, I you know, I agree a hundred percent. But when you're younger, maybe a little more insecure. Even if you have parents who are very avant-garde or free, I mean, they weren't musicians, oh. but they were artists. I just wonder if you could talk about if you remember back to a time when I don't know you you just wanted to own your path, like where you not that you found your own individual voice, but that you like you celebrated the fact that you are this multi-ethnic sort of, you can't get pigeonholed. I mean, that's the point about your music too. When I saw you, I mean, it, you can't, there's no way to go in there and say, you could say it's lounge music, but to me it was burning. It was too burning to just be lounge music. I wanted to dance to it. I just wonder if there was a time when, uh, you know, because you're not quote unquote pure bread or what, you know, pure, you know, if there was like a time when you felt like you sort of owned your multi-dimensional self. Well, okay. There's many ways I found that answer in many ways of my life. Like uh, it's, you talk about teenage years because mm -hmm. that was very uh, foundation moment in your life. Uh, when I was a teenager, so in the 80s, uh, I was like genuinely like a, really like a, passionate about like which was sometimes a little like strange because there's lots of critics you know in the 80s you know, if you listen to punk yeah, rock absolutely punk rock. and then uh if you are listening to uh, top 40 it's another thing you know <laughs> I, I just, but the reality is like i was like i loved for example the funk music dance music of the early 80s and um and all that stuff i love that but dude the, yeah no at doubt the, at the same time I always, I, although my early teens, I was not aware so much about like uh, really everything jazz, but I loved Duke Ellington, Count Basie, and the big big bands and all that stuff. Uh -huh. And uh, and I loved, but I also loved rockabilly because 
uh, for me, rock and roll guitar to me uh, had that swing thing that you could have like in the Count Basie hard, you know, hard swing, you know, that kind of like makes you want to jump and then it's exciting, you know what I mean? Absolutely, and, but, the Freddie Green but, style stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so 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 there was all this mix of music, and of course, they were, I had I also had very different friends. So I grew up in the 18th in Paris, 18th arrondissement, which is uh, by Montmartre. So it's next to Pigalle. You know, it's like a, and back then, it was still kind of but I consider it like a, you know, kind of like a rough neighborhood. <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is. It's yeah. a flea market and all that. Mm -hmm. So it's like you learn how to be streetwise, you know, real quick. And then, um, and we played in the street all the time. And, and you know, and, and I was friends with all kinds of like kids, like some. Uh, I was in the with the um, junior high school. They were pretty rough and uh, poor kids, you know. And then uh, from different like uh, countries and stuff. But then when I went to uh, high school, I went to a school like in a completely different neighborhood uh, in uh, by the Louvre, you know, and uh, Rue Saint Honoré. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and uh, it was like. All rich kids, like we're wearing like uh, dress shoes, <laughs> like uh, super uh, dressy. Yeah, very, like, uh, yeah, very. I mean, yeah, I dig, I dig, I dig. Right. Yeah. So, but I, the reality is, like, I never, uh, I never, I was never close to any type of people. Huh. You know, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I just like, you know, I, I felt comfortable with like, uh, my parents had a country house. Like, uh, really in a tiny little village. So we would go sometime in long weekends. And I play with the little farmer kids, you know. And we play in the straw and just uh, jump on the tractor and go get the cows and stuff like that. And uh, I was still the Parisian for them. But, you know, they accepted me. They, were, they thought it was, I was nice and, and uh, we had fun and, uh, you know. Dude, and, uh, that is the, that's that's pretty psychedelic, man. Going to the going playing in the right. straw, man. I love that stuff exactly. out in the farmland, man. So, so to, to, long story short, it's, it's true that I feel like sometimes I'm like I go from uh, I'm comfortable in one from in one word and another. You know, it's uh, it's basically about individuals and and uh, what uh, scenarios you put yourself in. You know, you can sniff the things that things that you're different than one experience like yeah, to go back, come back with drugs like i was exposed to to drugs and i you know even though like as a teenager i remember friends just smoking pot over there it's hashish you know yeah sure like sure and then and it's uh and going along because you fall and crew you know and and then you end up like a, a friday night at 11 some kind of like a, <laughs> a project uh, building yeah and going right. in a, and then being drawn to a basement that's like really shady, and and I'm like, you know what? I don't like being here. So it's like I'm not gonna go back there. Uh, I love it. I love it, man. I love. I freaking love it. I you know you have all. So you feel like being in that sort of um, mixed. I mean, it was very uh, <clears throat> that first neighborhood that you grew up in. Uh, you had to be street smart, and you sort of yeah. recognized, you know. Like, I want to live. I know you sort of understood that you had to be quick on your feet and you recognized what you, you recognized that there was a dark side and you didn't, you kind of wanted to avoid that. Yeah, exactly. Who wants to, and then I learned that, uh, you know, through friendship and stuff like that, some people just want to be in trouble and like uh, experience uh, some of my circumstances to me. But, yeah. but, uh, but you know, you say street smart, but then when you hang out with the, the, the rich kids and people are like, you have to be society smart. Absolutely, <laughs> there's more. There's more drugs with the rich kids, probably. You know. <laughs> well, I was not referring to that especially, but like just the, the codes. And yeah, the, no, I uh, totally no. The, I you know it's so uh, bourgeois, you know, very upper upper class. Right, and so so um, I I have to say I always and I still do feel comfortable with people like. You know, like uh, here in this country, I, I just learned slowly, uh, you know, to to understand people who live, you know, in a in the countryside and they have views and they're from America, they're from here, and they grew up here, and they and uh, they have the city people is very different. Uh, and um, to me, it's just uh, 
there's individuals behind them, and uh, they have uh, different ways to express uh, uh, their lives, and uh, beauty is everywhere. So, I, I complete, I mean, it's such an honor to speak to Naeem Amor uh, this morning. I, I Now, um, did you... you did you get exposed to, you know, there was just so much, there was a hotbed of activity in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, you had, um, in terms of soundtracks, you know, Henry Mancini, you had, uh, oh, yeah. you know, even even more the, the sort of, uh, <clears throat> what's the right word, tropical sort of island vibe with Martin Denny. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm curious, I mean, because so much of that is sort of, oozing out of your playing but i also recognize that so many people sometimes when they sound or when they're in if they sound like someone they they aren't necessarily influenced by them or have heard them it's just who they are and i'm just kind of curious like when you got like what was that that late 50s early 60s music it could have even been french music but what what was the sort of the antecedent uh what were some of your influences from that time when you were listening? Well, you said you mentioned the word soundtrack. So I, uh, yeah. when, I, when I was a, when I was a kid, there was no, of course, internet or anything, no cable TV. Nothing, no, just, no. No, there was three channels in France, you know, <laughs> and then there was one actually that finished at 9 p.m. and over, good bed. You know, I think that's so I perfect. Was, I wish we had that today. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. it was, but it was carefully curated too. Right. So we had like a. I remember because uh, Tuesday nights, uh, Tuesday nights there was a two feature movies because Wednesday there was no school. You know. Oh, know, that's great. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> and so and then uh, weekend there were movies. And there were programs for the kids, but you had to to be there too because otherwise you miss it, of course. So you, there's that moment you have to be on time to watch the, mm-hmm. the show. Right, and, um, right. So we had like a two feature on the on a Tuesday night and uh, uh, it was presented by this uh, old rock star, French rock star, Eddie Nietzsche, who was a big Amer- Hollywood fan. And he was like explaining, okay, this movie, it's, uh, you know, James Stewart, da, 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 and then he would tell stories and stuff. <laughs> And then, uh, wow. and then you watch the movie. So they were like westerns, but they were like Hitchcock movies and all that stuff. And all that, all those things uh, were like uh, scored. Uh, I mean, they're amazing, like amazing composers, you know. And then, uh, and for me, I think, I think actually uh, Hitchcock with Bernard Herrmann was a huge technique for me because ever since I was a kid, when I saw. North by Northwest, yes. which opens up, opens up on New York City, you know, and uh, uh, in, uh, in 1959, I believe, um, and, and you, you see those beautiful cars with the yellow cab drivers and and, uh, and those, those real street scenes, you know, New York, those beautiful these cars and the music of Bernard Herrmann, and that to me left an, an impression, a little bit like uh, George Gershwin, you know, the, the great rhapsody or the because into an F, whatever, all that stuff. And uh, and uh, th- to me, that's just, uh, for me, it was an idea of America, of course. And then, um, and, uh, but this was not rock and roll. No, <laughs> and, uh, no, not at all. But I, yeah. but I could find, like, some kind of the, the same glamour in, uh, let's say, the theme of North, North by Northwest by Herbert Herman, uh, in the same glamour in, like, maybe, like, a, Ancient Melody by uh, by Gene Vincent, who plays this ballad and sings with that. It's, uh, so, I don't know, it's, it's just... Uh, and then you, you discover jazz, and you're like, wow, there's like so much in common. And then, um, but also I loved, uh, uh, because I loved uh, movie soundtracks, French movies were full of amazing movie soundtracks. Amazing, and, uh, no, the truly amazing yeah. stuff, yeah. So I, I I say I was always influenced by by that and uh, oh yeah I mean every man for me did numerous scores for TV and movies and uh, yeah like Elmer Bernstein was great Johnny uh, Johnny Mandel I mean there were just so many uh, but I, I I you know this is interesting because I remember interviewing uh, <clears throat> Jeff Porcaro's dad Joe. Rest in peace, who was the father of all those amazing uh, musicians. And, you know, he would be in the studio uh, on a soundtrack date with uh, for Lalo Schifrin, let's say, 
and playing percussion, and maybe Shelly Mann would play drums, Emil Richards would be on vibes, and literally, they would project the movie onto the onto the wall or the screen, and based on the scene, the musicians would play to the vibe of that scene. You know, you know and I wonder when you first started doing that, because you were so, because you love soundtrack music so much. We have all this technology today. So much music is made in isolation. Obviously, there aren't studio budgets that, that there once were. But did you, in your early experimentation uh, with soundtracks, did you do something along the lines of when you were it, you would get this, you would get the movie itself, and you would project it and then play live with people uh, based on what the the scene called for musically. Well, I, okay. There's two things. I still do that today. That is so great. So I still do that today to a certain extent. Like I score uh, music for uh, different clients I have. You know? yeah. So of course, sometimes they wanted something that's like a, so specific and it's not really like, it's just a, a global, like a yeah. mood of something. Absolutely. And it, and it, so I get that, but it's not, uh, let's say, uh, cued to the exact movement of the scene. But uh, I've done like some scoring where I have, I, I tailor, I absolutely tailor the melody and the intensity and the tones to the evolution of that scene. That's why, but it's funny because, you know, at the time, like back then, they would edit the movie and then they would score it to the edit. But nowadays, because of the technology, the editors, they want the music to edit the film. Ah. It's like, it's the, it's the, that's the music video syndrome. So it's like when they started to make music videos, like you know, in the eighties. Absolutely, really like, you know, like, MTV. Like sure, absolutely. So you had the song, and because of the song, they would cue, you know, that change plan because there's this drum roll and there's this, and it's the music that dictates the the edits. You know what I mean? And then uh, and the problem is like. Uh, I get it, but uh, I don't. I don't think it has anything to do uh, with like uh, scoring the meaning of the a scene. This, the scene leads the. the I, I think the scene leads the storytelling, and the music is there to to punctuate and to um, to um, to dress, you know, to adorn the scene. Those that are you're hearing me. Oh, you're fine. Yeah, you, 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 I, I'm hearing everything. It's great. No, this is so. Okay. Wait, oh, so I want you to talk about this. The earlier. But also, yeah. Like, so also, there's another thing. Like before, I moved to the United States. Um, you know, I, I was like in a numerous punk, punk rock bands, and yeah, and um, and then and then in the early '90s, uh, with a that band I was in, we kind of like. Not burned out with punk rock, not that, but we felt like it was a time where it's like, ah, uh, we don't know where it's going. All this, you know, like, <laughs> how much, how much screaming can we do? And, um, and how, you know, and how I did, yeah, we, no, and, I did. yeah. And then it happens that I joined this group of uh, theater and dance, and uh, and I worked with uh, there was also a this music director uh involved and it was a much older than, than us uh, his name was jean-charles francois a, a man that comes a completely different world he's like um he was the director of the conservatory in lyon and uh and then he worked in the san diego university in the experimental music department oh my god this is insane man and young and young he was also working with ari parch so people like uh, my hero uh, harry parch is my hero by the way go ahead right. yeah so, yeah so very interesting person who was like oh working on improvisation, free improvisation. So I quit all the punk rock thing and I worked with a free improvisation and in interaction with actors and dancers. So this was like a real experiment. And we actually worked in a, um, we had like a, a big studio that was blown by a mental institution in Paris. Actually, the oldest mental institution called Villebrard. Wow. And then um, it was this huge building from the 1870s or something like that. It looks like a mansion. And then uh, this definitely felt like a, a place where there was a lot of souls that went from there. Uh, Anton Artaud was located in there. For yeah, a, a lot of free spirits were in there, no doubt. Yeah. 
Camille Claudel, she was there. Oh. And anyway, but um, oh. so so we I worked for six six years, six years, and then that's right after that I felt like uh, with a, one of the partner I was working with, a drummer, Thomas Bellum, we uh, we felt like we could bring all that improvisation and noise uh, experimentation to our maybe our rock and roll roots a little bit back. And then we moved to Tucson <laughs> together. <laughs> and then uh, we started a band called Amor Bellum Duo, which was like basically a kind of a duo, just like electric guitar and drums. And then we played like um, there were themes, there were songs, but then it would go complete improvisation from one song to another, like uh, some kind of trip. You know? <laughs> and then, uh, but it was really, there was a kind of a punk rock, post punk rock uh, energy. Actually, some, some writers called us Avant Pop. <laughs> Avon Pie saw that. I know. I want this is. Can you go back to this? Uh, this because there was an interesting thing that went on in this country. In the, I actually recently found a couple of albums. <clears throat> it was called Second City, and uh, they were based in Chicago and San Francisco. And they would have, you know, early guys that we know now, like Alan Arkin, John Belushi, uh, a lot of comedians, people that were acting, and they had the just a burning musical director behind them where they had to basically play, like you were saying, on the spot, sort of spontaneous improvisation or, you know, in the moment, playing parts to things. But it was, can you just talk about how that prepared you or how you grew as a musician? Because you're coming from a punk aesthetic, which is fine. I mean, that's just letting it all hang out and screaming your ass off. But, you know, when it comes to, dancers hitting the dance moves and right. you know coming in on time after a joke punctuating that that's let what you're talking about there going back to the soundtracks that's letting the scene take control and the music follows it as opposed to what's happening today with the music video syndrome and i just wonder if you could talk about how that sort of in the moment uh, creation uh, really help has helped you even to this day grow as a as a musician well, that experience in prior to career was also interactive in the sense that the dancers uh, would change what they do, of course, because of the music. So right. it was really an experiment. I would say experiment because it really was. Uh, you know, it was sure. a, basically a lab. A lab. And uh, we were working every day and uh, trying to uh, make up some rules and change them and, and say, no, this one is like it. Because the, the, the purpose was that. Uh, it was a little bit philosophical and political because we wanted to experiment on stage uh, direct democracy. So, do you hear me still? Yes. Don't worry. Very heavy, very, very heavy air travel this morning. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, it's fine, man. It's, it adds to, it, it's, it's authentic. It's good. <laughs> I was saying, like, uh, this, uh, this uh, experiment mm. was like. Um, um, an attempt to experience on stage in the reality of the stage because it's reality. Right. It's the reality of the stage. It's a certain reality. Uh, uh, a certain direct, direct democracy. So, uh, in the here and now. So, so we were like uh, really working on that. So, okay, if there's rules, but the, the problem is like uh, um, what we're trying to experience like what creates dynamic, what creates movement, what creates uh, um, momentum and uh, rhythm. Like rhythm in a, a large sense means like uh, not having beats, but having slow moments, high moments, heavy moments, oh. light, light moments. Love. Things like without without uh, someone who writes or directs the whole story, but. You can the people can make up themselves here and now. Exactly. So that was so that, was, that was the idea. But also, you know, um, you say, "Well, I came from punk rock." Yes, that was that's where I was at the, at the time, and I uh, also played another band where I played fiddle in subway with a bunch of guys, and then uh, and then. Um, Whoa! Was that like what was that like 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 French folk music? What were you playing? It was kind of like a. It was kind of like a Cajun. We, we took that. Uh, Cajun music. Wow, dude! Are you but, kidding me? Yeah, Cajun music. Love and then, that. And then, and then, but the the guys who, who were playing like 
could play barely I mean, just like a few chords. So it was punk in that sense that we were playing, we were using banjos, upright bass and stuff like that. But, but we would play and drink a lot of beer. And, right, right. It was like a rag time. It was, it was, rag, it it was, was a like, rag time, man. It was, I love this. Like, yeah. It was like the Pogues a little bit. Yeah, right, right. But, uh, right, 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 right. So, but I also, like, I also went to a, a, a music school for two years, a jazz school called, was called IACP, for stands for our institute of culture and perception and it was led by an american musician known actually called alan silva maybe you're familiar with him um what how do you spell his last name alan silva s-i-l-v-a silva he was like a contemporary of like cecil taylor oh my uh, you could not have gotten this is amazing education holy yeah like that and then, so, so I went to my, really my, I was like, I went to that school and at the time it was funny because I was like, I was what, 18? <laughs> and then, uh, and then you go to the school and then there's adults in there, you know, everybody smokes cigarettes, drink beer. It's a couple of, I mean, <laughs> a different world. And you have those American guys uh, hanging out and Alan Silvan was being, at that time was probably this, the early 70s in Paris and he still could not speak one word French <laughs> or pretend it yeah. and uh, and it was amazing because there was not it was a jazz school but again this was not like a completely we learned the traditional like uh, you know rules and uh, academics of jazz I would say but the culture overall the people who were there were people like like, like guys showing up with a bassoon <laughs> I love this. Yeah, it was like Anthony Braxton stuff. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah, it was like a, it was an extended uh, perception of of what jazz could be, you know. So um, me, I was like, I was, I mean, I I love jazz, but uh, I was like play, playing in a punk rock band. <laughs> so right. So, so, so. Well, no, no. I want to know. I want to know in in that school, um, did you have an opportunity to sort of. I don't know. You, I think you guys played Milestones the other night. It was some tr- a tune. I, it was so burning. Yeah. I, I lost my yeah. mind. And I could yeah, have listened to that for like 45 minutes. But, the, <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, that's just my more my bag than anything else. But, like, did you have the ability to learn in the most oral tradition uh, sense? Uh, basically, did you have gigs on the bandstand, even though you weren't, Totally, you didn't have all your stuff together, jazz wise. But no. did did you have a chance to uh, fall down and get back up on the bandstand? To me, like in the academy today, there's just there's so much reading and sight reading and technique, tech, technique and facility, and it doesn't really feel good because nobody has a chance to really, uh, you know, get you know, get it on the bandstand. Did you have at bandstand opportunities there? Uh- Actually, it's fine. Well, a little, a little bit. Yeah, not a lot. And not 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 so much. And you know, I forgot. On the, there was a stage or so. I, my my journey of music started when I was six years old. I started playing a classical violin for for eight years. So so, and now around fourteen years old, thirteen, fourteen years old, I was like ah. I want to start the violin. Yeah, I'm like, done. Uh, I'm done with the looking at the composer. Like, like, yeah, yeah. Like, like my son right now with the piano. Right? <laughs> He's and, done with it. Like, yeah. Well, it's like, well, maybe done. Well, we'll see. But the thing is, like, I remember uh, I was told, oh, well, if you give up the, the violin, which is a very difficult instrument, you know, uh, you, you'll never go back to it. But it was not true because actually I got back to it, but not. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Well, you started playing it as a fiddle, right? You know, in the Cajun movement, you know. I'm sorry, but really, it's a war zone. Yeah. <laughs> dude, I, dude Tucson in the morning is a war zone, man. Yeah, I told you it was a quiet name. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like, man, it's Iraq. <laughs> dude, and you got fireworks going on. No, oh, I, unbelievable. I'm serious. It's, it's, uh, okay, okay, yeah. it's, it's one, and I'm going away. It's but, all right, it's all right. So I was saying, like, uh, I, I quit the violin. And then uh, what happened is, like, uh, in, that's randomly, uh, a cousin of mine showed me three chords on the guitar. And he gave me a book. And I, I, I just 
learn the book in about a month, wow. uh, all the chords and stuff. And I was obsessed, obsessed, obsessed with it because all of a sudden I was like listening to the Stray Cats. You know, I was a big fan sure. of the Stray Cats. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, shit, I want a Tompadour. I want a leather jacket. And I want a, a big guitar and an electric guitar. And I was obsessed with that. And then, uh, and then a few years later, I picked up the violin randomly because some, some punkers asked me like, hey, we have this band. I heard you, you used to play fiddle. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I... I haven't played in four years or something, and then uh, and then they say, well, you know what? <laughs> we're we're very not really good. At, but, uh, <laughs> we're, we're having fun. So I'm like, well, maybe 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 it's a it's a door, it's a window, to, it's a right. invitation for me to to touch the violin at least at least. So I touched it, and sure enough, it's like bicycle. It came back, it never came back uh, classically trained and as uh, pristine as it was, but. I learned uh, to approach the violin with no fear, and uh, and with that probably by ear, and uh, with but with my also uh, and then um, and then so again to to come back to what I said at the beginning, it's I think the idea of openness and not just a, it's a war zone, war zones everywhere. It's 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 worse than any day. I work I work every day here. This no, that's just that's because you're talking to Jake Feinberg, man. All, all chaos is breaking loose. Yeah, now. yeah. Or, I don't know. I didn't read the news. I don't know, man, dude. Wait, so you so you were just burning away in the subways with the fiddle, though. No fear. Yeah, with with a, a band called the Moonshiners. The moonshiners, and uh, we were like eight people fitting into a, <laughs> a, a, a train car, you know, like ridiculous people. Oh, I and, love like, this. Some really hated us, like, what the, what the hell are you doing? We're already like tight as the sardines in the camp, and here, <laughs> and here, like yelling, like uh, your songs about like uh, being drunk and stuff. <laughs> and then, uh, but this was like a uh, this, you know, music is also camaraderie. You yes. Know, like, oh, absolutely. It's uh, it's the tight you 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 have with people. Uh, my grandfather was a musician. He was a musician in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. What? What? And then, uh, your mom's side or your dad's side? My mom's side. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that was like Grappelli. That was like Stefan Grappelli kind of era. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Actually, that's the look. He had a band with the the, the band uh, the band stands with his initials on it. You know? Yeah. Sure. He played a violin and saxophone, and he Whoa. had his own band. Whoa. And they played cabarets like till five in the morning. And then, um, and uh, the thing is, uh, um, uh, what was I going to say about that? Uh, it's fine. No, so you, 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 the family history was was there. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, music for me. That I talk about camaraderie, like the community. Yeah. Uh, music. The way I learn music, it's of course I went to the conservatory, but really, the music with a big M. I learned it with the family, so it's like a, because uh, because the whole family, my mom's side, played an, an instrument. My mom plays piano. Uh, my cousins would play an instrument, wow. which is my first band I did when I was 14, 13. It was with my cousins on uh, you know at, uh, during the, the holiday, holidays with get together. It was just like I have a tiny little amp and we make up some rock and roll. So, but uh, the thing is, like when we were kids, when it was like a Christmas or you know or a big party in summer uh some uncle or aunt would prepare like a music sheet they would send ahead in advance and we would learn any everybody would participate no matter what the level was and the, for no audience it was the audience was us and uh so it was just the party that you you're excited about that's all and i you, love this dude you, you're nailing this i'm, I'm just I, you you feel today in your own uh, creation, especially in the band, putting a band together, you're not looking for the the the, the greatest cats, the, the the best players. It's the it's the people you you. They, they, I mean, they got to be good, but it's more about like playing with people that you the camaraderie. It's still about putting around people that you can get along with and have fun with and trust. Absolutely, it's a, it's a very important for me that uh, uh, that um, you know uh, people are like uh, get along and uh, you can. Uh, I don't know because uh, when you find a way to get along, you can. Uh, 
everybody can propose anything right. and uh, right. and you there's mutual respect and then it's uh, it's great it's maybe not as efficient on the you know like uh, let's say professional Sometime, you know. Absolutely, no. It's gonna. It's not. It's. It's not gonna be some sort of quantified business model thing. It. It. You know. Yeah. The, it's gonna be a democracy. There's gonna be a discussion, but you'll so get I've there. Never, I've never actually been able to, you know, to 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 get into that mode of like what, what you just mentioned, which is like uh, being smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, man. Come on, man. Everyone's like that. You know, everyone's got their own genius, dude. It's not all book smart. And, uh, yeah. But I'm not, I would say, I'm definitely not business smart. <laughs> Me neither. No, no. I, dude, throw it out. I, I need to ask you this before I forget. The thing that was cool that I was digging, and I have a couple friends back in Brooklyn who have a similar kind of vibe going on but the the instrument that got washed out in as rock music got louder and louder uh you know before you would see stan getz and gary burton was in his band or i mean there were vibes everywhere cal jader exemplified that and i just when rock music got too loud the vibes became kind of obsolete and i just i just was delighted to see I just wanted you to talk about your love of that instrument and, you know, if you feel like, uh, if you feel like it's something that, uh, how you can incorporate it into a live music context, can it be amplified in rock music or is it more like, uh, I was just delighted to see it as part of your quartet. Well, um, first, uh, the, 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 the band you saw the other night, the Yeah. Uh, it's a, there's a little bit of, a, there's definitely a concept, uh, about, about this, uh, this band. Right. It's, uh, when, uh, uh, it was, I created it because, uh, Keith at the Jackrabbit Lounge, when he opened, uh, a couple of years ago, two years ago, he contacted me. Uh, because he knew of me, and I don't know, and, and he, uh, he, he gave me a, a great meeting in his place. It was the heart of the summer. It was really hot outside, <laughs> and I walk, I walk in, and it was cool air with this this lighting, dark, oh. no windows, oh. and uh, with this disco ball. And and he asked me, he said, "Listen, I'm interested in having uh, live music here, but uh, what do you envision?" He's asking me this, which right. I thought it was so awesome that right. he's asking me that question. And I said, well, okay, well, here's what I see. Uh, with that little stage, that disco ball, those red booths, and the, this plushy thing. Everything nowadays has got turned into a, a concrete floor brewery. Uh, Absolutely. Floor. Very sterile. Okay. Very sterile, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it has its own charm, but it's not cozy. Exactly. exactly. I did. That's it, yep. You know, and then and all those lounges and this this idea of like a a, a booth that's like comfortable and intimate and stuff it's completely gone. And then, so when he showed, I showed the place and he asked me what kind of museum. I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm sorry, with that with that little stage right there, I see a lounge music band, like a, a really cool lounge music band, but still a little bit inventive. But, you know, <laughs> but, um, but so so. So the, yeah, so the, the rule for me was like, okay, this is going to be a lounge music band. So it's a repertoire of song, the type of music, you know, and also instrumentation. And I told him right away, I'm not going to do this with less than four musicians because, uh, no, I, it has to be four musicians. So he agreed with that. And then, and then uh, I, I put together the band, which is people I play with on other projects too. And I told them, hey, this is going to be the, called the cocktail hours. It says what it is. And, and it's going to be a lounge band. Right. So it's going to be some exotica elements. So I, I brought this. I, I got that old, old sampler I had. And I put some jungle sounds in it. And then uh, just, to, just to emulate that, that music, music of that ambience of that era. Now, I mean, I know, I know, I know that nowadays... In Los Angeles or Vegas, there's like guys that play that stuff exactly like in the 50s or 60s. 
like, like exactly like super professional and super perfectly detailed and stuff. But I'm not really interested. In that. That's dude, you're and, dude, Naeem, This is the, exactly you put your own stamp on it. Yeah, and I, I and I hope. Um, you know, I mean, I, I hope no. I want to tell you something. The the cool thing life, about it was you know, that no. I mean, first of all, I got the impression that it's, it's, it's yeah, not cool. taxidermy, Tommy. It's uh, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's uh, it's happening now. Yeah, it's like uh, there's gonna be some nights that are gonna be like the more wild, some are gonna be more mellow, some are gonna be like that. You know, but it's alive. That's what I want, and. Uh, and I, yeah, Iraq. It's Iraq today, man. Iraq. Um, no, I want to ask you because I, I got the impression when you introduced the uh, saxophone vibes player that um you, you hadn't played with him in a while. Who is that cat? Because I'll tell you something. His vibes playing was pretty good, but his saxophone playing was like way. Out. It was great, man. Who was that cat? Oh, it's Marco Rosano. Marco Rosano uh, usually doesn't play vibraphone with me. Usually it's uh, uh, Ben Ben again, but uh, he he hurt his back last week, and uh, so there was oh. no way for him to to go and play. But fortunately, uh, uh, Marco can also play vibraphones, and uh, but he's mainly like saxophone. Dude, player. he was he ridiculous, man. Yeah, and he plays upright bass too. He plays flute. He plays all kinds of things. Piano. He plays piano, and. Uh, yeah, yeah. How much, when you look back at your, at your career, which has been, it's still continuing prolifically, I mean, you move here in 97, you have all this wild, incredible experience in France before that, you come here, yeah. you're in all these different bags and collectives, and the thing that I marvel about is just how many amazing musicians there are in every town, and I was talking to this with... Uh, with Thoger, it was just more like, can you just talk about timing and luck? Because I feel like uh, luck is the residue of design. It's not something that just comes out of nowhere. You have to work really hard, and but it's about being in the right place at the right time. Because I just know there are so many creative, brilliant cats that they're not that well-known just because so much of this stuff is about timing. And luck, and I just kind of wanted you to riff on that, and how you, how you stay centered, and how you stay humble, uh, you know, because you're not you're not somebody who's hyped up. But you're an artist. You're not looking to commodify your music or become some pop star or something like that. I, I, I simply don't know how to do it. That's right. <laughs> you can riff on that any way you want. I'm just you know being staying humble because of the because you feel like you have been because you're being looked over and, and watched over. Well, um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. But you know, you have to. Um, the, the here and now is so important. I know. You know. Yeah. If you're not content with your here and now, like today, you know, you something is not right. Yeah. It's not going to be right now. Uh, to to make your here and now, that's tomorrow. You have to make your maybe some uh, some. So you have to make decisions, uh, and between this and that, you have to make the the best decision that that makes that, that guarantees that you are happy. So for me, it's a balance of like being a musician is challenging because you know you you definitely you're not rich. You know? But I knew that. I grew up exactly, in exactly. My, my parents were artists. I, I was I was never like a. You know, it's weird. Some kids sometimes ask me, "Oh, so when you were like a fifteen, uh, you wanted to be famous?" And it's, I swear to God, I promise, I promise, I don't remember thinking it was like, I ought to be famous. I never, never crossed my mind. Oh, you sure, sure you wanted to have like, get like a, a good gig, good show and, you know, and sure. people like dig it and uh, it's awesome and you are, it's like people love it and it's successful and, and it's great music and uh, the girls love it, you know, and all that stuff. But uh, like being famous, it's it's not something like a, I was. It's not the goal. It's, it's never been the goal. So um, for me, the balance uh, on the day to day is uh, uh, what makes me happy in my life. I need to play music, I, and that's all I do. 
I play music. But, you know, I like I like walking for an hour and talk to you. Yeah, uh, planes and, flying you know, overhead. No, this is amazing. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, and then uh, I I live in my house with my partner and my and uh, my son and then uh, and uh, have a healthy life, you know, and play with like amazing people. Sure, like you know, you talk about the the Castel Hours because that's the band you saw. Yeah, but it's it's one of the projects which I, I don't record with that band right now. I, I mean, I haven't, I don't have any project. I have my personal uh, project with like all original composition. I have several albums, and I have one com- coming out sometime in, in May. Oh wow! Label, and then it's called um, Stories, and it's a, it's it's a, it's a different style of musician. A little bit. Uh, it's two electric guitars, electric bass, and drums. So very rock and roll, basic rock and roll formation. Uh, but it's a, it's more like a a rock sound, you know. It's louder. And uh, we just started to play again because, uh, because the album is ready, and uh, and we just played twice at Hotel Congress in December. And we're gonna play in March, March 27th, with uh, the working uh, working people. You know that band? Where where's the where where's the gig at? Uh, Hotel Congress, Club Congress. Oh, that's fantastic! I was gonna say, man, like, um, and we'll play we'll play at Blondie's too in April, April twenty two. But uh, and that's but that's a completely different band. It's a completely different sound. It's all original music, uh, partly sung with some song and with uh, uh, instrumentals too. But in a completely like more. I don't know. It's not jazz. It's not, but it it contains all all my influence and all like all what I love in, in music. You know, um, you have to, to come by. No, oh, I'm gonna do it. I mean, it is it has been so cathartic to connect with with this new family of musicians. I mean, I, I like I said. I mean, I, the spirit connects me with the people that I'm supposed to connect with at that time. I just wonder. Uh, where do you feel? I mean, I'm a father, a father, two daughters, and journalist. Thirteen years, I put out five books, done about two thousand interviews with all the cats, and I just, you know, I still have a lot of room to grow as a person. Um, I still have to be here and now. I still have to work on my discipline and completion and finishing things. and And I just wonder if you could talk to the audience a little bit about even though you've done so much and played with so many cats and, you know, where you still need to grow the most as a, as a person or a player? Um, you know, again, there's like so much to, to, to learn from anywhere. You have to follow what, what, uh, what inspires you. But the thing is like, a, you can't let it stop when there's effort. So right. like for example, uh, you know, I studied jazz a little bit. I told you like, when I was a, a teen, and uh, I always loved it, so I I was always like uh, kind of working on it. But when when the, um, um, so I could play a little bit of jazz for sure. And uh, I oh yeah, no, that that was I, very I, obvious. Yeah, I, I worked on it. But the thing is, like when COVID hit, we, we all the gigs disappeared, and the only people I, I, we decided to hang out was Matria and Casey Adam, the drummer. Oh and my then, God, uh, dude, that dude and, was and, ridiculous. And we and we just played um, we played in the backyard uh, and 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 we we treated it as a workshop so so because we were like also recluse at home uh, I decided like wow this is gonna be great we're go- I'm gonna do a deep 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 study on jazz so I learned over a hundred standards when I say learn it's a memorize. Yeah, so that takes wow. a lot of time. Wow. Yes. Yeah, because to me, the, the jazz, like you said earlier, it's not about like uh, reading. Yeah, uh, it's not about facility and chops. It's about feel, you know? Yeah. So, but the thing is, like, what they did back in the days, they knew the tunes. They didn't have like a music in front of them. Exactly. Well, dude, they were playing off the cuff because that language was embedded inside of them, man. I mean, they would learn it like the hell. Right. Uh, and then, uh, and then, uh, and then, so. I decided to learn on the guitar, uh, chord melodies and arrangements and all that stuff, which I had so much fun. And then also work uh, practice with uh, Trio and, and Casey. And that's how we started our jazz trio. It's called the A Jazz Trio. And it's like a straight up jazz, like completely like a 1950s 
a jazz band. I played with a big group singer, and then, uh, and then, um, and then, um, yeah. And then, and then, so we started that. So that was that's another band. And then uh, I have a, a new one that's that just started a, a few months ago. It's called the Mambo Catcher, which is. Uh, uh, with a percussionist, Carlos Solis, he plays trumpet, and, and there's no drums, just the hand drums, percussion. Wow, and, well, like the dumbbag or something, dumbbag or yeah. Yeah, I mean like an old Latin percussion kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and I play with a sound like kind of a rockabilly sound a little bit, wow. like slap back delay, and it's like a, it's kind of like rocking but mambo esque <laughs> kind of thing. Um, mambo, ro it's mambo rock, yeah. Mambo rock, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So this, this, this kind of thing. But like I would say, like uh, my uh, personal, like really, like uh, compositional project is uh, under my name. And uh, in town here, I go with Amor, name Amor and Amor Deluxe, Amor Deluxe, which is me standing with the band. So, and um, but I, 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 I do lots of collaborations too. Like uh, I did uh, several albums and collaborations with John Coltrane. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I'm actually, I, I did a, an album that's going to come out sometime this year, I hope, with uh, the great uh, Keith Congo Powers, uh, wow. who lives in town. Wow. And then, uh, so that's a complete rock and roll like uh, uh, album, which, uh, because uh, the concept, of my idea was like to make uh, kind of like a drum machine, bass synthesizers, and rockabilly guitars. Wow. Surf, uh, yeah, no, I, I do. That's <laughs> and uh, so I so I started that, and then I, I sent it to Kid Congo Powers, who is a, the, the, the nicest person. And then he was like, So into, I think we made the whole album together, so it's coming out on in the red, his record label in Los Angeles, or sometime this year. He even made a video this month, so you're gonna hear about me. <laughs> but uh, so the thing is, the discipline is like, yeah. It's like hygiene, you brush your teeth, you know, so I need to practice my guitar every day. I dig. Well, you're, I mean, Naimer, what, what gigs you have this week, by the way? This week? Uh, well, this week, this week I have like, uh, well, there's one, but it's not, it's like, a, it's for Valentine's Day, I'm playing with Tria as a duo. Right. So, so it's going to be really nice, it's going to be like more. Like, It'll be more, yeah, no, more, more romantic, sort of like flowery kind of thing. Yeah, but uh, but uh, still, I, I play a bunch of my songs, but turn into ballads and stuff. And then, uh, and then the Thursday, I'm playing. Actually, I'm going to play Thursday uh, as a two-piece trio uh, at the Tucson Hop Shop. What yeah. time? What? Okay, so what time is that? Six, six to eight. Six to eight. Yeah. Yeah. I will be there, my friend Naeem, I just want to say, man, I just had. We'll do this again in person, but. I just had an absolute ball uh, seeing you the other night. You are, I read somewhere about their, your musical philosophy is like tradition with experimentation. And I just yeah. feel like that is what it's about. And if you have the, the, the ability to be vulnerable and fearless, it's going to come across as authentic. And uh, so... It is just an honor to. It's been an honor to talk to you, and I'll definitely come out Thursday and catch you, man. You know, you said it authentic. It's a really. It's that's what I care about. And the thing is, like, I can't say. I, I can't declare I am authentic. You can only act in ways that you that 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 combine uh, those things. Like it's been like uh, put yourself in in a place that's like. Um, not necessarily comfortable and uh, absolutely, and, uh, in, absolutely, uh, unknown, unknown territories. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm learning Spanish right now, <laughs> and uh, oh. it's, it's, uh, yeah, it, but but it's fun, it's it, it's just fun. The thing is, like, you can't just be obsessed by and it's very difficult when you're artist by your you know the, the, the idea of success and what people perceive as success. Of course, recognition is super important. It's very important to be validated. I mean, we all suffer by not being enough sometimes. Yeah, but that's right. You know what? You can't just, you have to be like, well, what do I have that's good? I have, I'm so lucky. <laughs> I mean, so, so that's, a, that's the thing I would say to people. Discipline is just uh, brush your teeth. 
<laughs> Dude, the day, no, I mean, this is... Naeem, man, thank you for making my day, man. Go out and... Uh, right, thank you so much and for we'll, the opportunity. It was really nice to meet you. And uh, I hope I see you again and we can... Can talk more yeah, we'll talk that. more, and we'll definitely we'll 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 burn on Thursday night, dude, at the Hop Shop. Yeah, I want to I want to see your your read your podcast. I am gonna send you I'm gonna send you a few interviews you're gonna like a lot. Thank you so much. Hey man, be well, cool, man. Well, you too, and uh, and uh, you guys out there, take it easy. All right, man. Much love. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you.